Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this week. Um, Pastor Earl and Sue send you their love. They're down at Jinjin this morning. Uh, they've taken the uh, new pastors that are starting at the Jinjin campus up this morning to introduce them to the church people up there. So they're all excited. We were up there last week and it was great to catch up with those guys. This morning uh, I thought we would look at Psalm 19. I've been really enjoying the Psalms and there's a real richness there and um, I pray this message is a, a real blessing to you this morning. But before we get to that, I just want to share a short story about this old couple who had been married for 60 years and they loved one another very deeply and they shared everything together. They, had no, they kept no secrets except for one. The, uh, the wife and the couple, she had this shoebox and she kept it on a little shelf in her closet and when they were first married, she made her husband promise that he would never look at it, that he would never ask her about it. And um, over the 60 years of their marriage, he had complied with her wishes and uh, he, he hadn't been tempted to look. But one day the, the wife grew very sick and um, she had to be taken to hospital and the doctors were very concerned. They, um, they didn't think that she had too long Left And so the husband was getting her affairs into water and he took this little shoebox down off the shelf and he brought it into the hospital and he asked his wife's permission if he could open the box. And she said, yeah, you, you can open it. So he opens this little box and inside were two little dolls, two crocheted dolls. And there was a stack of $95,000 in cash. And um, the wife said to him, look, let me explain. When, when we were first married, my grandmother pulled me aside and she said to me uh, this advice. She said, if, if you get into a fight with your husband, if you're in an argument, you need to try and reconcile that argument as soon as you can. And if you can't reconcile it, don't say anything. Just go into the next room and crochet a doll. And so that's what I did, she said, uh, over our marriage. I've always followed that rule of thumb. And um, the husband looked into the box at the two dolls and he had this new love for his wife. It just welled up in his heart and he, he had tears in his eyes as he realised over 60 years of marriage that only had two unresolved conflicts. <laughs> but then he said... What about all this cash? What about the $95,000 in cash? And the wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I'd take it into the craft store and sell it. (laughs) 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 That gives us a bit of a different picture, doesn't it? At first, it it sort of appears that the wife is someone who reconciles things fairly quickly. But in reality, she was someone who was had all these pent-up frustrations and not saying something when she should have. Usually it's the man who has trouble talking about his um, issues. The the women usually are much more fluent in their communication. But in this case, uh, yeah, 
There's a famous song um, which is called Say Something. And it's about a relationship that is coming to an end. And unfortunately, sometimes in relationships when things go bad, the communication is replaced with silence. And uh, this, this song is about one final effort by one of the, the people in the relationship reaching out to try and fix it. The lyrics say, say something, I'm, I'm giving up on you. I'll be the one if you want me to. Anywhere I would have followed you, say something, I'm giving up on you. The reason that I've brought that song up is because there are many people uh, today that echo those sentiments about God. They feel like he's been silent. He, they feel like he's, he's, he's not saying anything. And they're crying out for him to just say something. Just, just let me know you're still there, you know. The prophet Isaiah said, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Sometimes it feels like when we're, when we're reaching out for God, it feels like the heavens are brass and our prayers just bounce off the ceiling and we, feel, we can feel isolated. How many of us have felt that way at some time during our Christian life? Well, in Psalm 19, David encourages us. And he tells us that God has spoken to us and that he's still speaking to us. And that's what I want to bring out in this, in this psalm today. There's, there's three different ways that God talks to us according to Psalm 19. David talks about God being revealed in the heavens. He talks to us through the scriptures. And he also talks to us through our character, through our soul. So David looks upwards at the skies, he looks downwards at the scriptures and then he looks inwards at his soul. And in all these three places he notices that God is speaking. In the heavens, God is revealing his glory. In the scriptures, he reveals his greatness. And in our souls, God reveals his grace. Let's look at the first uh, six verses, which is the first portion which talks about God speaking to us through the heavens. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, and their, vo- their line has gone out throughout all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man set to run his race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit is to the other. There is nothing hidden from its heat. David says that the heavens are talking, they're declaring, they're giving a record of something. Now, David was a a shepherd, so he would have spent a lot of time outside looking up at the, at the stars. Perhaps as he wrote this psalm, it was just as the sun was rising up out of the Dead Sea, he was in Bethlehem. And maybe after sunrise, he was inspired to write Psalm 19. He's saying, the heavens are preaching a sermon. They utter speech. You know, for a long time, I think 
since the beginning of mankind, people have been wondering, is there anybody up there? And if so, who are they? It's, it's interesting. I was watching a, a video clip on how mankind is listening to the universe and they have this huge uh, ear. It's a, a radio telescope, one of the largest on Earth. It's called the Robert C. Bird Green Bank Telescope, GBT for short, and it's, it's located in Green Bank, West Virginia in the US. It's just a little sleepy uh, place, a little sleepy town, and they've installed this huge facility. It's so enormous and it's listening to frequencies that may be emitting from outer space to get some sort of signal. It's, it's so big that you could drop inside of it a 60,000-seat stadium. But they want it really quiet around the town of Greedenbank. For miles around, you're not allowed to use your mobile phone. You can't use Wi-Fi. You can't even turn on the radio in your car. In the article, the, uh, they were talking to some of the workers and um, when they interviewed them, they said, you know, you start to wonder, how did all those stars get up there? Why are they there? Where did they come from? And that leads us to ask, well, where did I come from? These are all good questions. And these are the sort of questions that the skies are meant to get you to ask. David says that the heavens are declaring something. They're preaching a sermon. And the sermon is a special sermon. You'll notice he says the heavens declare the glory of God. They don't tell you about the grace of God. They don't, the heavens don't tell you about the love of God or the mercy of God or the judgment of God. But they do tell you about his glory. The glorious design of the universe speaks of a glorious designer behind it. In apologetics, which is the defence of religious doctrines through arguments and debates, in apologetics there's a thing called a teleological argument. And that's when we argue um, from the vantage point that if you see something that is well designed, you expect there to be a designer. I remember um, when I was courting Brenda... The car that I was driving was an old classic restored EH Holden Ute and um, I used to love that car. It had real style. The designers, the car designers in those days, I think, really knew how to make a distinctive looking uh, vehicle and I would often be stopped at work because I would park it in the main street where we lived and... um, people would always come into the workshop and saying, hey, do you want to sell your EH? And I'd be like, nah. (laughs) But they never ever said to me, hey, um, I really love your car. I bet it just oozed out of the bitumen by itself by accident. It It wasn't by coincidence that it was put together. It was by design. And it's the same with, um, with creation, when you look all around us. If the art that's hanging in the skies is glorious, you're forced to say, well, how much glorious, how much more glorious is the artist himself? The glorious art speaks 
of the glorious artists and the heavens declare the glory of God. This sermon that the heavens are preaching is continual ever since the first day of creation. They've been preaching this message out there into the world. David, uh, David writes, day unto day at a speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. So here we are, we're able to observe planetary movements and rotations and patterns every day, every night, every week, every month, every year. It just keeps on going on and we're able to observe and catalogue and to record all the intricate, all the intricate movings of the, the solar system and the, the planets which rotate around the sun. It's, it's like um, a precise piece of um, clockwork machinery which has been put into place. It's not just something that's happened spontaneously by accident. It's evidence of a designer. It's God speaking to us. He's our loving creator saying, see how much care I've taken creating this place which is a safe place for you to live and to thrive and to reach your full, full potential. Did you know that the surface temperature of the sun is 6,600 degrees Celsius? And here we are 150 million kilometres away from that, which is actually in the sweet spot, the Goldilocks zone, because if our orbit around the sun was just a little bit further away like Mars or a little bit closer we would either burn up or freeze. We wouldn't have the same kind of life on this planet. That's God speaking to us saying, I want to provide a, a good environment for you. Did you know that this little sphere that we're on the earth, it rotates 365 times as it makes its yearly journey around the sun? What, why is that? Why, why not an, another number, say 30 times? Well, if it, if it did rotate 30 times on its axis, the days and nights would be 10 times longer. There would be alternate freezing and cooling and carbon-based life as we know it wouldn't be able to be sustained. It's no accident. It's the evidence of a designer. Did you know that the Earth is tilted 23 and one-third degrees on its axis? This means that it gives us four beautiful seasons each year. It's no accident that it ended up this way. Did you know that our atmosphere that we breathe is the perfect balance of oxygen to nitrogen being 79% to 20% with 1% of variant gases? Amazing. What, why not 50-50%? Well, if it was 50-50, we wouldn't be breathing. <laughs> We'd be dead. And the first person to light a match would blow it all up. Also, did you know that the water-to-land ratio on the Earth is just marvellously balanced? There's 71% of the Earth's surface that's ocean. And, but if, if the ocean were just half the dimensions that they are presently, we would only have one quarter of the rainfall that we currently have. Imagine how dry that would be. But if the oceans were just one-eighth larger than they currently are, we would have four times the amount of rain and rainfall and the earth would be a flood zone. 
So, yeah, you could say it's a marvellous accident what happened, that it all happened by coincidence, or you could be a little wiser and say, no, no, there's design built into that. Therefore, there must be a designer behind it all. Evolutionists would tell us we all just came from spontaneous generation of a single bacterium. But there's a quote by uh, Sir Frederick Hoyle, who's a noted astronomer. He's got this quote that I love and it says, the probability of a spontaneous generation of a single bacterium is the same probability that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard could assemble a, force, a 747 from the contents. That's clearly not what's happened. Everywhere you look, there is evidence of a designer who has done an incredible job in creation. It's our creator speaking to us through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Their sermon is continual and their sermon is universal. It's a sermon that's heard everywhere on earth where you can see the stars, where you can see the moon and the sun sunset and sunrise. This is the reason that the Apostle Paul said that what you see around you is actually enough to make you responsible to believe in God. It's enough to let you know that God exists. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen earth and sky, everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You'll notice in verses 5 and 6, he poet, David poetically describes in Psalm 19, the sun rising in the morning and setting in the evening, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber or an athlete running his race. When you walk outside and you feel the, the sun brush against your cheek or perhaps beating harshly on your baldy head if you're not wearing your hat like me sometimes, what you're experiencing is the radiation that the sun is giving off. And when the sun gives off radiation, it's um, produced by a loss of part of the sun's mass. Did you know that the sun loses 4,200,000 tonnes of its mass every second and it only recovers one two-hundredth of what it loses? That means that if the sun is running down, the light bulb is getting a bit dimmer. The, the light bulb is running down. And it, if, if it's running down, that means that it must have had a beginning at some point. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. There's a famous quote by astronaut John Glenn who actually went into outer space. He said, to look out at this kind of creation out there and not believe in God is to me impossible. It just strengthens my faith. I, I wish I had the words to describe what it's like. So the skies are speaking. God speaks in the heavens. But in Psalm 19, David goes on to talk about how although they speak in the heavens, he also speaks through scripture. 
in verse 7, he now turns downwards to look at the scripture after looking upwards at the skies. Verse 7 says, the law, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, the much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and by keeping them there is great reward. So he looks upward and he realises as he looks at the heavens. The heavens are preaching a message. They're, they're telling a story. They're speaking of the glory of God, but they're not telling the whole story. There are certain things that the heavens can't tell us about, such as his love and his grace and his mercy and his judgment. But when we look at the scriptures, we get a special revelation. The heavens are a, a specific general declaration of the glory of God, but the scriptures are a specific focused message. And in the scripture, the, in the scriptures, God will speak to us about life, about death, about what happens after death, about love, about relationships, about the future. The scriptures talk on so many different topics. As we read in verses 7 to 11, you'll notice that starting in verse 7, there are six lines which are filled with rich poetic imagery. And each of the six lines has three parts to it. The first part is a title for God's truth in the scripture. The second part is an attribute of that truth. And the third part is there's a result when you... um, Put those scriptures into your life. Let's look at the titles first. He describes the the scriptures as God's law, as the testimony, as statutes, as commandments, as the fear of the Lord, as judgment. They're all synonyms for scripture. And then we have the attributes of the scripture. God's word is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true and righteous altogether. This is a high view of Scripture, church. And sometimes people might wonder, you know, why are we always going on about the Bible? Why do we always have to have a Bible study? And um, this is one of the reasons why, we do, why we're so focused on the, the Bible and love to study it and to chew it over and to meditate on it. It's because it's the Word of God. When we're putting together a message for church, um, they teach us when we're being trained at Bible college that you don't just, like, come up with some sort of cool subject and then do up all your slides and make sure you've got a cool graphic and then at the last minute just try and find a few Bible verses to sort of stick on the end to make it go along. It's not about that. The, The scriptures have always got to be foundational, When we're doing a message, we always do expositional Bible study. And um, the reason that we do that is because we believe that the Bible 
is the very word of God, that it's without error in its original documents. I firmly believe that the Bible is the complete mind of God in Scripture and that it, it speaks specifically to people's hearts. I know that um, in saying that, there's a lot of people that don't hold such a high view of Scripture. And that would be evidenced by the fact that they don't usually read it regularly. They don't carry it. It's not such a big deal. It's just something that the preacher does on Sundays and we have to listen to it. That's a much lower view of Scripture. But here's what I want you to know. I believe that the Word, the Bible, the Scriptures are the Word of God for one simple reason. It's because... I believe in Jesus Christ and because I believe in him, because I'm a follower of him, I I follow what he did. I try to model my life on the the teachings that he espoused. And have you ever done a study on what Jesus taught about the scriptures? It will impact your life. Here's a couple of the things that Jesus said about the scriptures. Um, He said that the scriptures cannot be broken That's a high view. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away from this law until it's all fulfilled. That's a high view, church, high view of scripture. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, when I read the Bible, when I ponder on it, when I chew it over in my meditations. I believe that I'm seeing and I'm reading about what Jesus saw and believed about when he read it. It encourages my heart no end to know that with those Old Testament books, Jesus would have been reading those those same documents in the original languages when he was here. So I just want to go quickly through that list and talk about the results of Scripture in your life, when you consume the Scriptures. The first one is, the first result is that it will refresh your soul. In verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The word convert means to turn back to something, or you could translate it as restore or refresh or to revive. The Scripture will turn you back to God, and in turning you back to your God, you will be refreshed. It will always realign you. It will do that the first time when you come to Him in salvation. It'll do it to you the second, third, fourth, fifth, umpteenth time in sanctification. The Bible is an unending well that refreshes and realigns us with God's purposes. The second result of scripture in our life is that it will challenge your mind the second part of verse 7 says the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple when you when you hear the word simple-minded you might think of someone who's a bit naive and that that's one way to look at it but it can also mean open-minded someone who's open to instruction Someone once said that minds are like parachutes. They've got to be open 
to work. Now, sometimes when we are reading the scriptures, we'll come across things that are too hard for us to get our mind around initially on the first reading. And it's really hard to try and deal with it because we're trying to reconcile it with our culture, which is different from the original uh, audience. And we've also got a time difference that we have to make allowances for too to try and understand what the authors were originally saying. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you'll come across something that might appear like it's a contradiction. There's an apparent contradiction. I don't believe that there are any real contradictions. It doesn't contradict itself. But there can be apparent contradictions and where you perceive, hang on, that doesn't make sense with what it it said earlier. But I just want to encourage you to keep applying yourself to the scriptures and do a bit more research into it, ask more questions. Um, Sometimes as we dig out those gems, those nuggets in, in the Bible, it helps to helps you to remember it because you had to work a little bit to to get it out of it. If if you if you continue to work with it, it's amazing how you'll see that it weaves together and it aligns beautifully. Oftentimes um, if you're reading if you're doing a Bible reading plan, sometimes you'll find that the Bible quotes itself from other places and it starts to become a commentary on on other parts of the Bible. I've discovered that people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it's contradicting them. They're looking for something to say, ah, see, there's a contradiction, see that... The Bible doesn't really make sense. I don't have to listen to what it says because they're not ready to deal with their own issues. But the Bible does want us to deal with our issues and it will challenge your mind. So that's the second benefit, the second result when we include scriptures in our life. The third result is that it will delight your heart. In verse 8 it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Remember in Psalm 1, there's a guy who's really happy. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Sometimes, am I right, as you read the Bible, you may not be delighted by some of the things that he says. It might, you might be reading a passage and it's like, oh, wow, ouch. God's smacking me up the side of the head with that one because you're being convicted about something in your life and that doesn't seem delightful at first glance. But if we conform ourselves to the scriptures, if we don't turn away from it, if we allow ourselves to be shaped by it and moulded by it and allow it to change and transform our life, the result will be a delightful result. It will delight the heart. Jeremiah said, Your words were found and I did eat them. They were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. The fourth result of having scripture in your life is that it will clarify your vision. 
in, also in verse 8, it says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, giving insight to life. Church, the scripture is like the sun coming up in a dark alleyway. It's dark and you don't want to go down there because you can't see what's down there, but then the sun pops up and you can see to navigate your way. The Bible throws light on life and it's amazing how much light the Bible throws on different subjects like on dating, on on marriage, on finances, on all of life. It gives us insight into life. The fifth result of having scripture in our life is that it will stabilise your future. In verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, now this is a little bit different. You'll notice this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is used as the synonym for the scriptures. And that, that's a little bit odd because you don't tend to see that in other places. But the reason I believe that he's using this phrase is because he's describing the effect that it will have on you. The effect of exposure to God's truth is that it produces within you, it'll, it'll produce within you a respect, a, a holy, awe-filled awe respect, and that's the fear of the Lord. Because God's truth is clean truth, his, his word, it's pure, it's without deficiency, it's without error. It will endure forever. So the truth that got you through your situation yesterday is the same truth that will be available tomorrow. It's, if it worked then, it's working now, and it's going to be available tomorrow. It's going to be available in the future. His promises are yes and amen. Finally, the final benefit, the final result of having scripture in your life is that it will benefit your whole life. In verse 9, the end of it, it says, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. You know, one of the things that I've discovered about reading, reading the Bible, and as I read the Bible, it, it warns me about the path that I might be wanting to go down. If I'm concerned about which direction to take, the Bible tells me the truth about what the choice that I'm about to make. The world never tells you the whole truth about when you're making choices. The world just says, oh, no, no, it's all good. Do whatever feels good. Go your hardest. But the Bible will pull you up. It'll say, hang on a minute. I just want to warn you about this. It's not necessarily a good idea. By them, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he used to say, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not, what? Sin against you, that I might not sin against you. It will benefit your whole life. So David, 
David speaks about how God speaks to us in the heavens, God speaks to us in the scriptures, and then he turns inwards to his own soul. And even there, God is speaking. If I can just ask the singers and musicians to come back up, we'll start to wrap this up. In verse 12, it says, Who can understand his errors? And the his in this line is a small h. It's not referring to God. It's referring to David. Who can understand David's errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. These are deliberate sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. See, he, he, David's looking up at the sky and he goes, wow. He looks down at the scriptures and he says, amazing. Then he looks into his soul and he says, yuck. Do you notice the words that he's using here? He talks about sin and error and faults. The first thing that David realises is his need for forgiveness from sin, from error, from salt from faults. That's what looking up at the skies will do because you realise, wow, this is a glorious God and I am the other end, am an inglorious being. David says in Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon, which you have ordained, What is man that you are mindful of him? The revelation of the glory of God means that I see myself as I really am. So as I realise the glory of God in the skies, I realise the greatness of God in the scriptures. I now see a need for the grace of God in my soul. And so this is where God is speaking inwardly to me, that still small voice. He speaks to us through our conscience. When you're doing something and you know that it's not the right thing to do, you know that you shouldn't be doing it, that's God speaking to your heart. That's that that, that little hand on your shoulder saying, don't go this way. Sometimes it's harder to hear that little voice when we get distracted by the things of life. So that's why we should give God unfettered access to our conscience. What the skies proclaim and what the scriptures pronounce is what the soul should be processing. It's going to affect us, church when we listen to what God is saying. So sometimes people might say, God, say something. But David is saying in Psalm 19, he already is saying something. He's been saying something for a long time through many different methods. And he's still speaking today. He speaks in the heavens He speaks in the scriptures. He even speaks in our souls.
David finishes in verse 14 of Psalm 19 with this closing prayer. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The revelation of God in the heavens, the revelation of God in the Scriptures brings him to this place where he says, Now I want to please you, God. I realise who I am. I, I need your grace. And now I want to please you with my words and my thoughts. I love the honesty of this psalm. It's so easy in the busyness of life to to think, why isn't God speaking to me? And yet he's never stopped speaking. I just want to finish with a, a simple illustration. You're driving down the road and um, you're in your car and you turn on the radio, you're listening to uh, a local station. I remember sometimes when we'd go to Brisbane, we'd tune into different stations along the way. When we were getting closer to Gympie, we'd tune into Kalula Christian Radio. <laughs> um, and it would be good, you'd be listening to a program and it, the signal would be coming in strong. But then as you got further and further away on the other side of Gympie, the static would start to kick in. Initially, it would just be like a little break up here and there. But the further away you got from the, the signal, it became more and more staticky. And before long, it was just all white noise. So what do you do when you get to that point? If you want to hear the end of your show... You've got to turn your car around. And the Bible has a term for that. It's repent. It means to turn around. You've got to turn your car around and drive towards the signal and drive till it gets strong again and you, you can hear that signal really clearly. It's the same concept when you're trying to hear the voice of God. As you drift further from God, the weaker the sound as we allow more and more static into our life it prevents us from hearing what he's saying but he's still saying it he's still speaking to us maybe you've heard the old saying if you feel far from God guess who moved it's not God he's still there you've just been driving in the other direction so you need to turn around and drive back to the signal. In James's words, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Perhaps you're here today and you're thinking, so what is God saying to me? I looked up at the skies, wow, awesome, glorious. I looked down at the Scriptures, amazing, detailed, great. I look in at my soul, I see the need for His grace and I turn around and I move towards his signal. It could be for today, some of you are thinking, man, I've been tracking well with God, been walking with him, I'm picking up his signal, great. It's so bright, it's so clear. Life is good. Maybe you're here this morning and your signal is just breaking up a little bit. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've just had white noise for the longest time. 
I just really feel moved that the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning, turn your car around, turn around and head towards the signal. You can't see it yet, but the bridge out in front is out. You're heading towards a cliff. You need to turn around. Tune into that signal. If you're here this morning and that's you, you feel that God's been speaking to you in this message, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond and to turn around and to rededicate your life to Jesus. Or if you haven't experienced Him in your life in a personal way, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him as your Lord and Saviour. If we could just close our eyes and bow our head. Is there anyone here this morning that wants to receive Jesus? Just raise up your hand. Just take time to turn from your ways. God bless you. You can put your hand down. We're just going to pray this prayer. Everyone's going to pray it together. Just repeat this after me. Dear dear Lord Jesus, I want to turn my life around and hear you speak into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And today I confess you as my Lord and Saviour. And I invite you to be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if if you're here this morning or if you're here online and you prayed that prayer this morning as a symbol of faith that you want to receive that signal stronger, I just encourage you, come and talk to us afterwards. We've got some material we'd love to bless you with and encourage you with. We're just going to close now. Father, we just thank you for this service this morning. We simply surrender ourselves at the end of this message when we consider that you have desired to speak to us in so many different ways over so many years, Lord. You've been reaching out to us, providing inspiration through creation, declaring the glory of God, through your scriptures, providing detailed, specific guidance, through that still small voice in our conscience, in our souls. Lord, you're amazing. And we thank you that you've continued to reach out to us. We just pray, Lord, that as we go out this week, that we would be more conscious of hearing your voice, of hearing you speak to our heart and that we would be obedient, Lord, to what you're saying to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're just going to open the altar here, church. If there's anyone who has prayer needs, we would love to pray with you and believe with you for a, a miracle.